Hello and welcome to the Coon Hunting University Podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Coon Hunting University is brought to you by Superior Hunting Lights. Superior, step up to the max. Use discount code CHUPODCAST at checkout on nighthunters.com. Conkey's Outdoors, hunting and hound supply store. We stand behind Conkey's and is the only hunting supply store that we personally recommend here at Coon Hunting University. You can find out more at conkeysoutdoors.com or find them on Facebook, Conkey's Outdoors, and give them a like. And GNR Cedar Dog Boxes. They make a high-quality cedar dog box at a great, affordable price. If you're in the market for a new dog box, reach out to Gavin at 615-962-5266. So today I'm joined by Mr. Dave Sullivan. He has a very unique story. And uh, Dave, tell the folks at home, I listen to this a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm Dave Sullivan. I'm 42 years old. Uh, grew up in a little town called Ulee, Florida. Uh, it's just north of Jacksonville. Uh, I live in Folkestone, Georgia now. They're in southeast Georgia, just south of Waycross. But uh, I do a uh, union electrician. I work out of the IBW Local 177 Union Hall there in Jacksonville. I'm an inside foreman for them at this time. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so how'd you get started into hunting? You know, tell, about, tell us a little bit about uh, your dogs and all. Yeah, I got started. <clears throat> Actually, me and my dad, we uh, he kind of got me into the coon hunting. We had an older gentleman in our town there in Ulee. His name was Kent Claxton, and uh, Mr. Claxton, he always coon hunted. And my dad, he would ride by and see Mr. Claxton's dogs and stuff. And my dad, he worked at a paper mill, and he would he'd see those coons run over on the road, you know. And I was getting on up of age. I think I was about twelve, thirteen years old. Um, you know, Mr. Claxton, he just shows up one day. I didn't know him and my dad had done talked, and my dad told him, you know, try to find me a coon dog. And he showed up, had an old English dog. Uh, name was Red Man. Uh, he uh, just an average dog. You know, we we didn't know absolutely anything about coon hunting. That's kind of comical the first night we went. We went down and placed kind of marshy and swampy, you know, turned the old dog out, and he went out there and struck. and trail around, made a horseshoe, come up on the hill and treed and kind of comical the two lights we have, the two old yellow Rayovac flashlights my dad had got from the paper mill and they wouldn't even shine the top of the tree, you know. <laughs> it was, uh, and couldn't even find that coon, you know, just didn't have the right equipment and my dog ended up getting in the marsh and got treed on an island out there and we didn't have no gear, you know, and my dad, he looked at me and he said, we're going we gonna to get into this and we're going to play this game. We're going to have to have some equipment, you know, and that's by John Wick. He was still in business and we had all the catalogs and, you know, we was getting all the books. I mean, we was head over heels into the cocoon hunt and just getting started. I mean, started at, at scratch knowing nothing, you know, and uh, next day, I'll never forget, he got a that wit catalog out and ordered me and him some boots and, and lights and stuff went in went in the hole big time but we we got our feet wet for sure <laughs> you know 
and where, where'd you where'd y'all kind of go from there they went from there we mr claxton the guy that got us started he would uh he'd come down you know a lot of nights my dad he'd work shut down or you know didn't want to go and mr claxton he owned a pulpwood business and uh you know i'll never forget him i think you know for everything he'd done for me he'd, he'd work all day in the woods pulpwood and i'd just start calling you know and then his wife, Miss Claxton, she'd say, son, he ain't in yet, you know, and there I am, you know, like 14 years old. I mean, just chomping at the bit. It didn't matter, you know what I mean, rain, wind, it, you know, I just wanted to go hunting. And uh, he'd come down and get me, and he had permission to hunt, you know, all around our little town there. There was some marshy areas and there's a little college uh, there in the town of Yulee, and they, they – uh, backed up on the marsh and he had he run cattle in there for years you know what i mean when it was all open land and so he kind of had permission to hunt all that but he'd come get me and we'd go hunting and uh like i said old english dog he was a uh, didn't find out till later i think he had been kind of ate up because he had the tree maybe when he was younger or just you know he treed that first night i told you when we me and my dad took him and i don't think i ever had him tree again other than if we caught him and brought him into a tree, you know, Mr. Claxton, he had a uh, few different dogs, you know, he had a walker jip, but, you know, you could tell she was doing most of the striking and, and treeing some coons and uh, never forget, he had, Mr. Claxton had one of those real long barrel 22 pistols and he actually let me shoot my first coon out with that long barrel pistol right beside some people's house there on the other side of the marsh. They come out and, oh, it's, Mr. Claxton, they just went back in. You know, the little town we lived in has changed a lot now. The people that know, you know, it's uh used to be a lot different, you know. But to move along, my dad he ended up talking to Mr. Claxton and uh we ended up purchasing and bought that uh old Walker Jip from him. And uh, I hunted her in a few hunts and think I might have won it. I don't think I don't remember if I ever won a cast with her, but we you know, that that's kinda how I got my feet wet with her and then he uh, started going to the hunts, meeting the folks, you know, uh, Paul Sheffield, Buddy DeLectry, you know, a lot of the well-known competition hunters, you know, and got a lot of $25 lessons. And, uh, you know, I moved on from the Walker Jip. She she had, you know, tenants, and she'd leave a tree here and there, and, you know, it, it cost me a few hunts. And I said, I just – so, you know, we've always wanted to compete and excel at a higher level, so we end up uh, – I'd met Steve Fussell, you know, on the dark blue kennels with the blue tick dogs, and I I uh, purchased a Jet 5 bred female from him. Um, she was almost uh, stone cold silent, actually, uh, but purchased her and uh, had a few friends, was kind of getting into it, you know, we getting some different dogs, and that's kind of how I moved on. You know, we got her, and then I kind of got into the blue dogs for many years. I hunting campaign them you know got a few different dogs from steve i bought a, a young pup from him named her dark blue jill he was at the winter classic in 1996 um first year i think i went there and walked around you know a googly-eyed kid walking around walking through those stud barns i know <laughs> you know you've done it and other hunters when you just get into it you know you walking and you you think all those dogs walk on water and there's a lot of a lot of super nice dogs you know and a lot of a lot of mess out there too you know oh yeah oh yeah for sure you talk about mr steve fuss was that back in the dash days 
It was right after Dash. I never actually seen Dash. Uh, the I purchased a female from Steve actually there at the Winter Classic when I was telling you he uh that's when he had the smiley blue Levi dog and I think Rocky Wilkes had the Hat Creek Fido and I think you know him and Steve was advertising a few dogs together and back and forth and uh went by there and I'd met Steve and knew him you know had hunted the other dog and uh he had one pup left and uh he said you know he wanted to sell that pup my man ain't and he got the money and just a young kid me and my dad and he kind of looked around he said hey man if you want that pup you know you get her and he cut us a deal on her you know what i mean and he said i don't want to take just one back and uh he cut us a deal on her and i'm i'm glad he did i she started kind of slow. It's like I said, a lot of that was on us, you know, hunting too many dogs, not knowing what we're doing in certain situations back then. But uh, when she come on, she she really come on. We was getting a lot of coons from different places. We had a, a place called Amelia Island Plantation over in Fernandina Beach, um, over on the island, not far from where I live. And we had guys, they were trapping coons over there for the residents just moving them and you know me and my dad we would get them and take them and use them to train the dogs and uh i turned the coon out for her one night and a bad windstorm come up and turned her an older dog on it and he worked and worked she was just gone you know and man that pup ain't with him you know back then we had the old wildlife materials which thankfully my dad he's always been the one to try to get good equipment he went out and bought one of them i think it was the trx 1000 or you know the blue box they had some good tracking equipment but tracked the dogs they got deep through there and i went around heard the blue female and thought she was was hung you know it was called in something and uh we got down a little woods road and run and got in there to her and she was caught in a steel trap and i parted the palmettas and as she was reared up on a big old giant oak tree and she was treed for her first time or whatever and uh had the coon we shot the coon out you know and i get to looking and she had actually treed a wild coon that wasn't the coon that we had even turned out of the trap the old dog i think he went on and treated on you know somewhere else but uh from that night on, she just kind of come into her own, started hunting her on a few feeders, and, you know, we had a, had a lot of coons in that one certain area we was hunting, and she made a pretty, uh, you know, pretty decent, nice dog. We, uh, I finished her to dual gram, one a little bit in PKC with her, you know, and then had her, and then, like I said, we kind of got, got into the blue dog uh, fever, you know. We, my dad, he's always been really interested in the breeding and stuff. We went on to the coon buster dog that uh jerry rains he won two thousand all the moats with at the time coon buster he'd done a lot of winning made his name for himself and uh and jerry he kind of had some life changes and you know he sold buster to marty reynolds i think of Medora, indiana as i think where where marty lives but uh had a friend of mine he was up hunting and I don't remember if it was Walker Days or what. It was a big PKC hunt up north anyway, and he had heard some guys talking or whatever, and some of them drew Buster, and he put on a pretty good show up there and done some winning and heard a dog might could be bought, you know, and he was actually off of a dog named Broad Axe Blue Max. At the time, Max, he was a number one reproducing blue dog in UKC at that time, and so we went out on a limb, you know, my dad did, and he got, got the money and we purchased buster had him and 
uh, breeding to some females. Didn't find out till later he'd been been run over, had some uh, breeding issue. Did raise one litter of pups off of him and the Jill dog, and uh, said a lot of those turned out really nice, you know, and done that, you know. Like I said, that was a part of the blue dogs, and then that that mix, you know, we had a end up getting a little little female off of a rat attack that a friend of ours, Greg O'Quinn, had purchased. She was off of a really good cross. He had got her, I think, from Jerry Frazier. Jerry got two pups, and Greg, he was a real hard hunter, and I think Jerry told him, if you hunt this one and start it for me, I'll give you the other one or whatever, you know, and he wound up with the one, and uh, she was off of Rat Attack and Thunder's Wild Ride which I think Roger Dale Carney, I think he had one. I can't think of her name right now. They were four litter mate sisters, Roger, and then they did did a bunch of winning with the one he had. But there's a lot to do with the coon hunting, you know. Yeah. Uh, what kind of hunting do you do now, mostly? I still coon hunt a bunch. Like I say, got, got some uh, coon. I got several power pack dogs. I got a, got a young blue tick female I'd She's a little over a year old now off of Big Country. And uh, Phil Vogel's indie female, nice blue tick female I got, you know, really kind of got into the, the the squirrel hunting, you know. My dad, he was going to retire, and he said he want to maybe get a squirrel dog, you know, that we could kind of plink around with and shoot some squirrels in the fall and stuff. So I, like I said, I traveled doing electrical work. I was traveling, working all over, and working in Tennessee, I kind of made contact with a few folks and kind of went and started looking at some different dogs and, uh, you know, hunting with some, but you know how it is. Everybody likes something different, you know. I hunted with some. They'd go wooden trees. Some, you know, some wouldn't go at all. It's, uh, you know, so we just kind of looked a while, you know, for a squirrel dog, just kind of something we'd be interested in, something what we liked. And when I was a young i guess i was man, 17 18 years old or something like that i went to a squirrel hunt and coon hunt combination thing over in jessup georgia and uh you know just talking to those guys i wanted to go see went out on some cast with some squirrel dogs and you know just didn't really see nothing that that interests me but they assured me and told me you know that if i wanted a squirrel dog you know the person to get one would uh, be Mr. Joey Dennison. He lives there in, in Jessup, Georgia, and he's been successful, you know, in training a numerous amount of, uh, you know, high-end squirrel dogs. He some went on and, you know, competed and done well, and, you know, he sold a lot of dogs, trained a lot of dogs, and actually he won the, I think he won the hunt that day. He had a little feist dog, I think, treated the only squirrel that was seen, you know, so I kind of, but I met Joey there, and, you know, he, he told me, he said, every every person, you know, at some point in their life that, that coon hunts, you know, they'll want to try a squirrel dog if they like tree dogs, you know. And he said, it's uh, we were talking, and he he said, you know, y'all got a pretty nice walker female and done some winning with her. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, what do you take for her? And like I said, that was years ago, you know. And I said, oh, it'd take a... You know, it'd take a lot of money to get her, probably 10000 and that was a lot back then, you know. And I said, if my dad could be convinced to sell her, and Joey smiled. He said, yeah, he said, that's kind of how I feel about my squirrel dogs. He said, a lot of, you know, folks, they'll want a large price, you know, for a coon hound, you know. 
He said, but I want to come up and offer you four or five hundred dollars for a finished squirrel dog. And he says, you know, to train a squirrel dog and train one right. To, you know, if you want it to timber, to timber right. If you want it to stay treed, to stay treed. And, you know, so met him there and we exchanged words. And I'd say, just a kid, I didn't have a lot of money back then. And I went my way, he went his in life. And, you know, then I'd say later on, we got hooked up with my dad. He was wanting to want us to find a squirrel dog, you know. I'm sitting in the motel room one night, and Joey Dennison, he come across Facebook. I seen his name, and I remembered it. Uh... Conkey's Outdoors knows that keeping up with the latest in hunting technology can be expensive. That's why they're proud to offer amazing financing options, from 30 days, same as cash, to 0% interest for 6, 9, 12, and even 18 months, depending on your credit score and the amount you spend. If you've been eyeballing that new thermal or want to upgrade to the latest in tracking system technology, go find out more on the web at conkeysoutdoors.com or if you're in the Hastings, Florida area, stop by and visit. They'd love to have you. Conkeys Outdoors, houndsmen helping houndsmen. Messaged him, sure enough, he... He remembered me, the guy with the walker jip and the young boy, you know, and he told him a lot about my life, you know, a lot of stuff that went on, and he invited me to come for a hunt when I come back home. And uh, so that's what I did. And uh told my dad about him, and I set up a hunt. Went and, went and met Joey, and he met me at his mailbox and, you know, treated me like his son, kind of took me under his wing. And uh I'll never forget, we hunted two little mate brothers. I think they was about six or seven months old at the time and i say we put them on the buggy and joe he lives got i think he lives on like 265 acres and he's kind of got it manicured and groomed and you know set up for squirrel hunting and he rides a buggy around and you know we turn those two brothers loose two young dogs and they split like the red sea i mean one right one left and you know wasn't just a little while one was treed down there and just amazing to me, you know, at such a young age, go down in a tree like that. It was really amazing. He drove that buggy and drive down. I said, you want me to leash him? And no, we ain't going to leash him. We're going to let him stay there and see if he's going to mess up or what he's going to I said, he's got a squirrel. I said, yeah, he better have, you know. And he, I'll never forget, we drove a circle or two around that young dog tree, and he just drove off and left him there. And I thought, man, this guy ain't got a clue what's happening. This young dog's just in a pool and run down here to this other one you know <laughs> and uh he didn't dog stayed treed and went down there and went to the other dog he had a squirrel you know and i was just you can imagine flabbergasted to see two young dogs operating like that you know at such a young age and driving a buggy and all around them it uh it was quite a quite a sight you know so me and told my dad i don't know if we'll get one but i know where we need to get a squirrel dog and uh Kind of went from there. I started going every weekend that he would have me. You know, I would go to Joey's and, you know, learn stuff, you know, trying to get involved in the squirrel dog game. And we later on was able to purchase a young dog from him. You know, and actually, I still have him out there, a dog named High Speed Tarzan. He's a nice dog, accurate, you know, action packed type dog. Got a good mouth, you know, does, does real well. But me and Joey, we, it just kind of developed a relationship and kind of went from there, you know. Yeah, for sure. So do you have a coon dog right now? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, I got a 
like I say, the two two young dogs off a of power pack, and I have a, a that blue tick female off a of big country, off a of big country in Indy, uh, Phil Vogel's female, I think, out in Missouri, I believe, is where he lives at. So I'm, like I say, still hunting them a couple nights a week when the weather allows. It's uh, been super hot here in, like I say, South Georgia. Like I say, it was about 103 today, so it's uh, pretty tough, and our hunting really 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 tough you know we got sick you know we don't have a lot of coons we're not on the coast and i'm kind of back off the coast we don't have have very many coons you know unless you bait them or you know get them where they're coming to a certain area so pretty tough dogs got to go hunting tough on young dogs where i hunt at the beavers kind of come in several years ago and dammed up a lot of stuff and flooded it woods being cut i've lost probably I'd say sixty to seventy percent of what I used to hunt as a as a young guy, you know, when I we got a club, it's about seventeen thousand acres. You know, when I got in it it was uh, all virgin timber. It hadn't been messed with and you know, I don't I don't know how long, you know, that was blocks of wood, you know, two or three miles wide and four or five miles long with woods roads going in on every side, you know, just a real delicacy and a coon hunter's dream you know years ago and then you know how the logging is in the tree industry they come in and cut things and the beavers dam it up and a lot of the places i stood the other day me and my dad stood on the bridge and i remember training and walking the trees in some of them spots and it's over your head in water now you can't even can't even hunt it at all you know oh wow that that's crazy <clears throat> around here they ain't they ain't no hardwoods left for them to cut yeah, it's all planted pines. If you're out of the WMAs, you know, it's pretty much the only place you get any big bottoms anymore. Yeah, and it's the kind of, I've been fortunate, I've said over all these years, you know, we, uh, you know, down where I live at, you have to be a member of a hunting club. And like I say, it's all timberland, you know, they'll get 80 or 100 members and, you know, we yeah. pay a hunting club fee to be in there every year. And like I say, I've, I've been in that club since I was, 15 you know i'm 42 now so i've seen a lot of changes you know y'all leave from warehouser it's a uh, rayonier rayonier owns half and uh, i think i can't even think of the other other group right now legacy timber on the other half and uh, rayonier they just come in and like i say cut all of our hardwoods they only left uh i think it's 12 feet on each side of a waterway or whatever on each side so that's kind of what I was telling the guy earlier. I was talking to Wade Hildebrand out from Texas on the phone, and he, he, uh, I told him gonna be a lot of long walks, you know, because whereas the dog used to could go right or left four or five hundred yards and tree a squirrel or a coon or, you know, left this way or right that way. Now it's you ain't got but about a twenty foot wide strip of trees, you know, that just goes down through there. So it's just straight ahead, you know, a lot of it. But uh, ain't no, hardly no game lands around where I live at. You know, nowhere close. So it's uh, gonna be tough. Still got a few big blocks of wood, you know, but it's definitely gonna gonna put a hindrance. Cause used to I, you know, and still will. But when I get in in the evenings, you know, I'll load up a few squirrel dogs and then I'll go up and hunt until dark. You know, try to get them ready for the hunts or whatever I'm gonna do, and then. My dad will meet me and, and we'll coon hunt also, you know, once it gets dark. And uh, do what we can. I say, I, I live an hour from my job, so I have to 
you know, come in a lot early, you know. I, I don't have it like a lot of the guys, you know. I see a lot of those guys hunting, you know, twitter. Eight, ten coons a night, some of them twenty, you know, up north and hunting till daylight. I don't I just don't have that luxury of my job and and where we live, you know, my my dad had told me, you know, years ago, he said if you wanna you know, if you wanna be successful in this and if you wanna you know, you wanna be in the dog game and be in the competition type world, he said, you know, you need to you need to move, you know, because it's uh all the big stuff's up north, you know. I mean, all the world hunts, all the nationals, everything, you know. And we've said it for years, you know. Y'all, y'all come south, and uh, you know, you'll see us a different, a different type dog, you know. I mean, it's always in the on the Facebook pages and the discussions and the topics, you know, north versus south, what dog's better, and you know, there's, you know, it's gonna be that way till the to the end of the time, you know. It's uh, I've you know, challenge people. I've told them, you know, you bring that big money winner and you hit him and, you know, come down here and we'll turn loose and I'll see if he's as good as what he is in Ohio where y'all trade 20 or 25 a night. I had a guy tell me, I'm not coming to South Georgia. <laughs> he said, I ain't lost nothing in South Georgia. There's never going to be no big hunts in South Georgia. He said, you know, and, and like he told me, you know, I don't have nothing to prove to you. You know, I'm on a hunt where I can go and win the most money and and, and be successful. And it's, you know, not in South Georgia. I mean, they have some, you know, decent-sized hunts, but it's nothing like, you know, what they're having now, you know, with the, you know, with the pro sport and the different stuff, you know, hunting around the cornfields and, 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 you know, up north, Indiana, Ohio, it's always that. Like I told you before, you know, I think my daddy, Looked in a book one time, it was a spot, it was a, where Ohio, Indiana, and I think Illinois meets, you know, and this was years ago, but they said, if you lived in that town, right there were all those three states come together within 20 minutes, like five nights a week, you could be at a, at a PKC, a UKC hunt, you know, a competition style event for a coon hound you know, within about 20 minutes in either direction. And, uh, you know, here we don't, we have a few, you know, PKC hunts, you know, smaller stuff, you know, here and there. And it, and this grows some, like I say, once I kind of got into the squirrel dogs, I, you know, didn't go to as many events as far as the coon hunts. I still follow them all and, you know, do that stuff. But it's a, definitely a different world hunting down here, you know. We got a few guys, you know, to, Colt Perriman and his brother and his dad and them guys, you know, they live, they're from here where we all grew up together. They travel way up north, you know, and, and hunt and they're very successful. You know, they've done a good job. I know Colt, he, he's going through the same school I did, electrical school and all. And, you know, he'll leave out on Thursday night and drive all through the night to get somewhere on a Friday to, you know, be able to compete, you know, just a lot of, a lot of wear and tear. You know, we just don't have no big major events here. Oh, yeah, I understand that. A lot of people think of Mississippi, and they think of the Mississippi Delta, you know, which is some outstanding hunting. You know, I mean, it really is. It's it's great. Where Michael Moody guides for the Jarvis Offers hunt, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. That ain't my Mississippi, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, I understand what you're saying completely. Uh, uh, which I mean, I, we are fortunate to have that in our state and be able to host some big hunts, but 
you know, that's the only reason we're able to host those big hunts because of the Delta. Um, yeah. When I, when I was thinking Mississippi, yeah, I went out last year and, uh, well, I don't remember what little town it was, but, uh, anyway, went to NSD, the Mississippi state hunt. And that's what it, me, I had, you know, the Delta and the Cypress knees and the whole, you know, whole Delta look in my mind, you know, we pulled up there and guys actually Bobby Carr, uh, different guys, you know, they took us hunting and, I was thinking, man, this this ain't what I was looking for. And I was like, no, you're thinking about the Delta. That's on down, you know. <laughs> I just wasn't there, you know. But, yeah, like you say, y'all got different different terrain also, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have some – we have some really – we have some – hang on. We have some good hunting, like where I live at. But uh, it's very – localized like you have to go to one certain area and it's good right. like the rest of it isn't like there's 500,000 acres in the DeSoto National Forest and about 499,000 of it you don't want to hunt in you know right. <laughs> so uh <laughs> but uh yeah and that's just that's just how it is you know like you said you're hunting branches you know that are just 12 foot on each side of a waterway uh so yeah, it's 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 it, it can be rough, but do you, do you prefer squirrel hunting over coon hunting? I do now. You know, right now at this this time of my life, I mean, I, I love the coon hunt. It's it's tough on me, like I say, right now with my woods and you know with my job situation. Like I say, I have to get up at five every morning and you know to make that commute back and forth to work and uh with my woods and you know to just be honest, when I got into the the squirrel dogs, you know, and with Mr. Joey Dennison, you know, we bought it, you know, I, we bought the Tarzan dog and we hunted and I ended up getting another little dog, uh, named Berea from him. Uh, she's off the sniper's big play Ray. I got her and went to Georgia state hunt with her, you know, and, uh, you know, kind of just started getting more competitive and looking and traveling and, you know, I watched them hunt for a couple of years and think, man, dogs walk on water. You know, maybe one day I could have a, have a dog like that. You know, we all do it. You know, you look on the internet or, you know, you when you're younger, you look in the magazines and you see these big load up pictures of these dogs or you see the guys, you know, they're, they're standing there holding these dogs in the final fours. And, you know, me and a lot of guys, we've joked around about us. You know, that was our goal, you know, we just always wanted to get our picture to, you know, be successful, wanted to win, you know, and I, I, uh, never forget. I went to, well, I got in one year, I went to South Carolina, uh, NSD hunt. They had to clash for cash. It's a big three day hunt, you know, and, uh, watched it the first year and a couple years. And one of the Skeeter dogs, she won it one year. Tony Walters was handling her and then, you know, but I went and looked up and I think I won my cast the first year with Bria and got through midday, uh, hunting midday with Tom Smith and uh, his Lucy female. She won a couple world hunts and came out with her Rockets Bubba dog or anyway, I did, I didn't advance, treated a few squirrels, but, but got beat out, I could say that year, but it kind of really lit a fire under me, you know, meeting those guys and, uh, just seeing, it was a little to me, you know, a little, uh, a little cleaner, I should say. Uh, 
or not having as much arguing, much junk, you know, to, you know, the things we all complain about, you see on Pro Hound, the striking on the battles of, you know, coon hunting, you know, it's the, everybody has their issues with it, you know, wanting this rule change, that rule change, different types of dogs, you know. When I got into the squirrel hunt, it just seemed to be a little, a little cleaner, wasn't as much rule pushing going on, wasn't as, I mean, you know, they followed the rules, but it, I guess being in the day and, you know, finding that squirrel is hard, you know, I kind of, kind of got a story about that. I'll, I'll try to remember to tell you, but it's, uh, you know, you find another guy squirrel, he's, you know, they're all trying to look for each other's squirrel, because, you know, you won't eat it on the next tree when everybody's looking your tree. So I just found that it was just a little bit cleaner to me. Uh, as far as the rules and the, the trouble and the issues um, in the squirrel hunting. And I say, thankfully to, to Joey Dennison, I got some pretty decent dogs, you know, starting out. It was, uh, you know, I was able to go and, and kind of not dominate, you know what I mean? But I was, you know, winning cast and getting, you know, in the semifinals and, uh, you know, placing. I, I remember I, the Sammy dog, you know, I've done some winning with the people know, you know, she's, uh, I think I've hunted her in the class that next year. She was like 17 months old, I think. And first hunt with her, I think I drew the world champion crank dog, which was off a of Hummer and, uh, the razor dog. Uh, I think he's off a of Hummer also. They, you know, Jeff Island and them had Mr. Norm was hunting razor and, uh, I think Wesley Holloway was hunting uh, crank for Jimmy Inman, uh, the guy which, you know, he was kind of over the NSD. And uh, I remember I loaded up and squeezed through and won that cast, same tree, two squirrels. And, uh, man, that was just a, a highlight of, you know, my time there. You know what I mean? I come in toting that school card and nobody really knew who I was. And, you know, y'all tree some squirrels, yeah, you know, and I won that cast, you know, and it uh just really been good to me, you know, the squirrel dogs. I really, you know, had a, a lot of fun, met so many good people, um, you know, finding each other's squirrels. I mean, you know how it is. You're going to have an issue here or there, but for the most part, it's been uh, laid back, you know, in a sense. You know, you still have the camaraderie, and then you also have the – you know, competitive just as much as you would in a pro sport truck hunt. You know, I mean, we get out there, you know, we hunt, you know, the NSD hunts, USDC, um, you know, USDC, they put on a truck hunt every year, you know, world hunts, you know, NSD, same thing, having nationals, you know, a lot of different pup programs coming on in these squirrel hunts. And, um, Greg Maynard, you know, him, Jeff Island, a lot of the, guys before me they really paved the way and really brought these squirrel hunts up uh, you know i think greg said he was you know that was his desire to get the squirrel hunts up to where the the coon hunting was you know and it's definitely knocking on the door like i say they've got it where we're hunting for hunting for trucks now i was uh got invited to go to the uh joey posting invitational uh so invitation only type squirrel hunt it was a uh, $500 entry fee, you know, we only invited so many dogs. I think it was 36 last year, I think. Not sure on exact on my numbers, but, uh, 
my dad he was able to go go to that with me you know that was a that was a good thing we was able to go there and uh got beat out early but dog looked real good hunted the, the spade dog that i won the mississippi hunt with uh, at a young age like i say he won a mississippi state hunt he was 17 months uh, rod hardy made the breeding on him he's off the uh, gun smoke dog that uh keeps something middle of them had and done, done some breeding with and uh rod bred uh female named tanks lily ann uh the gun smoke which is uh for all the squirrel hunters they would know it's the blackout dog that's done all the winning greg maynard done a lot of winning and jeff island one with and uh they uh they're little mate sisters, anyway, but that's where the, the spade dog comes from. That's the cross he's off of. But I hunted him in Joey Poston Invitational and uh, got beat out early by the, the pearl dog, which is off of Woody. Uh, spade tree, three squirrels, and I think I had a couple of circle trees. And uh, same thing with pearl, and she got come tree there right at the end of the hunt. We was at spade, and I kept pulling him off the tree, so... He wouldn't get so hot and all wound up, and uh, the judge, he got there, and he said, I think you kind of helped him, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, right at the end, he said, you wouldn't have very few seconds left, and I think you must have pulled your dog off the tree or whatever. He said, and we just could hear a pearl through there, and she was about setting three quarters through there, and <laughs> he got her treat in, and we went to her, and uh, actually she had a squirrel and beat me, but she's a... Uh, Super nice dog, Josh Perkins, you know, owns him and his wife. and uh, Really good people, you know, they deserve to win. She's done a lot of winning, you know. That's the thing, you know, they, when it's your time, it's your time. But, you know, a lot of a lot of folks don't really like the squirrel hunts because it's, uh, some say it's a game of luck, you know. I mean, your dog can treat a squirrel, but, you know, they'll go in a hole the size of a quarter. And sometimes you can tap on it with a switch and, three squirrels will run out and sometimes you can burn a tree down and they won't come out it's uh you know there's a lot of a lot of fate and chance and you know i've seen squirrels go in the hole and beat on it with a bat and need that squirrel to win the cast you know and and just can't get him back out you know he, your dog done the work you know it ain't as you know happens in the coon in the coon hunts also you know but just uh you know coons they, they don't go in as many dens as what the squirrels do you know what i'm trying to say yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, do you kind of look for the same thing in your squirrel dogs you look for in your coon dog? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I get asked that a lot. You know, we kind of joke and prod and push, you know, us guys on Facebook, you know how we do. We'll talk and, you know, guys, I want a 100 yard dog. I want a 200 yard dog. Or, you know, it's uh, um, kind of a tough thing really because of where i live you know and not really having the game you know dog has to really you know and i don't live right by my hunting area i have to drive a little bit so you know you just take for instance if you get off work or load up all your stuff and then you drive up to the woods and turn your dog loose and you know there ain't nothing moving right there around you and you know he goes out there and makes a circle and comes back up there and stands there that's <laughs> you know want to go to another area they just don't you know you know as well as i do in the competition world when you come back up there and stand there somebody's 
somebody's just done <laughs> destroyed you, you know what I'm saying? Because there's dogs going to be treated through the country somewhere, you know. And yeah. um, I have a lot of people, you know, they'll people will come hunt with me, but it's hard to get people to, to hunt with me consistently because. Hey, y'all. Tyler here from Coonutton University. I want to talk to you a little bit about extreme dog fuel and what sets them apart. Superior nutrition at the lowest price possible. So they've been told the amount of vitamins and minerals they use in their feeds overkill and that they could reduce cost by incorporating less expensive ingredients in their formula. But they believe the right mix of important ingredients makes a huge difference in your hound's skin, coat, performance, durability, health, and longevity. They promise they'll never change their product to lower the price or to compete with cheap commodity dog foods. All their ingredients are taken from the South Central United States. So go check them out and you can find out more about Extreme Dog Fuel at ExtremeDogFuel.com and find a retailer near you today. Extreme Dog Fuel, feed it for life. You know, we was, uh, Zach Everhart the other day, he was saying, and I said the same thing before I ever heard him say it, it's uh guy come hunting with me and he said, man, we're, you need to calm down. We're just pleasure hunting. And I said, man, I've never been on one. I said, every time I turn the snap on a dog and every time I turn a dog loose, I'm trying to see what I can look at, correct, improve, whether it be on the dog, on me, on a rule situation. You know, it's like I told him, it's, you know, what I let go on out here today, pleasure hunting, just letting a dog do his own thing or leave a tree or, you know, meal over here or not go hunting. And, you know, it could cost me twelve, fifteen. $20,000 up the road cost me a pickup truck, you know, just being nonchalant and just thinking, oh, we're just, we're just pleasure hunting, you know, so I'm, I do kind of take it to the, to the extreme and, and, and probably too much at times because I don't have anybody around really that, that hunts with me. I got a few guys this season kind of saying they're going to want to maybe try to get into it. One of them, he's an old ex coon hunter, used to compete a bunch and, so I'm hoping he'll kind of get on board with me because I got a bunch of dogs and it's just really me handling, you know, I'm always looking for something, something better. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, I have, uh, you know, my spade dog, he hunts, I mean, just like a hound, you know what I mean? You turn him loose, he'll be here one minute and sitting in there 800 tree to next, you know, it's, uh, it ain't fun a lot of times, especially in this Georgia heat and, you know, what we have to do, but it's, it's necessary, you know, and it's uh, kind of a two-way street with me because living in the south, I've, uh, you know, I run into the, the weather conditions has really hindered me. You know I mean? I don't know if it's the certain dogs I have or, you know, just the, uh, that's the reason I'm always seeking, searching, trying to find, you know, that that perfect one, that one that's, that's got it all, you know, because I've traveled up north, you know, it's, I left here one day, it was 75 degrees, and when I made it to uh, Katie's, Kentucky, uh, me and Wade Hildebrand, it was, you know, started snowing within two or three hours, four hours, it was almost two and a half foot of snow on the ground. Um, you know, my dogs are never exposed to that, they don't ever never get it here you know i have people tell me you know i wouldn't hunt down there the snakes and the gators and you don't you know i wouldn't hunt until it gets cold and i said well you never hunt you know <laughs> we we don't we never get that really 
bitter, harsh, cold. And if we do, it's just for, you know, days at a time. It's never, never long, you know. We probably don't leave, lose probably 60% of our leaves, you know what I mean? We still probably have 60% of them year-round, you know, even in the harsh winter. We don't never leave, you know, lose our leaves like a lot of places. I was telling Adam O'Donnell and me and him was joking around, good friends, you know, we stayed together and traveled together and uh, I sent him pictures in March, you know, and we're back full-leaved and, you know, getting ready for turkey season and, you know, they're still, they don't have a leaf at all, you know what I mean, up in Byron, Michigan, where he's at, you know, and I'll send him a video, you know, 80 degrees looking for rattlesnakes in a palmetto patch, and he's, you know, he's still walking in the snow and at, you know, certain times of the year up there, you know, so there's such a vast difference in the squirrel dogs of, you know, leaving South Georgia and then traveling, you know, to, you know, land between the lakes or, you know, Mount Orb, Ohio, you know, it's uh, the flat, the hills, you know, I mean, my dog is flat, flat as a pancake here, you know, you go to Kentucky and you got those hills or uh, South Carolina, you know, it's a hilly there, you know, Whitmire, some of those places, just a lot, a lot different terrain, you know. You think them people up north, do you think they ever get tired of hearing how easy they got it? I think they do. I, I think they do. And, and, you know, because there's, uh, you know, they have their bad nights too, you know, believe it or not. I see a lot of those guys. And, oh, yeah. And it's a, well, when it's, a, a different world, you know, what you get used to. Yeah. The winters down here are really nice. The winters up there aren't very nice. Right. I mean, you know, you look at, you look at guys that, you know, like Jay Bradamire in North Dakota and, you know, certain places they're, they're completely shut down, you know. I I complained about the cold, you know, but I know when I when I work, you know, I worked in Illinois for quite some time and it uh you know, truck froze up, you know, you had the southern boy didn't know nothing about it, you know, windshield frosted over, me waking up trying to get to work. I mean just you know, the ice on the roads, people wrecking, you know, it's just a just a different world, you know, if you ain't never drove in and you ain't you ain't used to it, you know, and it, you know, it has effects on, you know, like say you, your dog, you know, it's, uh, I was talking with Adam, you know, and we was talking about, you know, switching dogs and sending dogs back and forth different places, you know, and, you know, he said a lot of it's just a dog, you know, I know there's a, there's a dog up north, they say, you know, she's, she's bred really good, awesome, good stuff, and, uh, but they say, you know, she's kind of a, hot weather type dog you know she lives in kentucky but they say you know you can hunt her the first round if you get on some squirrels you do pretty good but bad weather and all that she it don't matter and she was raised there you know what i'm saying and it's uh um, you know rod hardy and the guys down you know live down in the panhandle they had a little dog uh, henry langford did uh named spring uh, glenn rogers i think he ended up purchasing her and uh josh presley he's Handling her, done very, very well with her. Done a lot of winning last year. Uh, I think he won the nationals with her. Um, you know, I don't know that she'd ever seen snow. I know she'd been hunting over Mississippi and, you know, out in the panhandle with Henry Langford in Florida. And, uh, you know, she didn't have no problem at the nationals. She hunted in the snow just like I did, and she treed squirrels and advanced and made trees and done what it took as a top competitor to move on, you know. And it's so, you know, it, it's tough, you know, to swallow. You know, a lot of folks, they, 
make excuses. You know, the only excuse I just say, well, you know, <laughs> mine ain't used to it, but I'd be willing to bet she wasn't used to it either. You know what I mean? She's just that type of dog. She just adapted and, you know, done what it took to win. And that's what they say. You know how it is. I mean, you've heard it before. Winners, they'll, they'll find a way. You know, you get some dogs that, uh, you know, they'll excel in certain conditions. You know, I, uh, that's the whole the the whole thing with the the competition squirrel hunt, you know, that's the I'd say one of the biggest arguments, you know, is you get a lot of guys that, you know, I got a good squirrel dog, and well, you know, do you got a good one in good conditions, or you got a good one? You drive fourteen hours one way, get him out, and you know, like Dean Wright said, and a windstorm or hailstorm blows in, and there's a foot of snow on the ground. At six o'clock, when you wake up that next morning, you know, do you got a dog that, you know, you're going to turn loose? Is it going to go hunt and go get tree and go, go produce game and go, go do what it takes to be competitive? And they all don't have it. You know, they, there's some of them you get them out and they tiptoeing around and, you know, there's some you can hunt them in the bright sunshine, the squirrels are moving and, you know, they'll plus point you to death, you know, just squirrel after squirrel after squirrel and then, you know, you take them midday, squirrels are laid up, ain't nothing moving. They'll go out there and make them a couple hundred yard lap and come back up there and stand there and look at you. And people say, wow, man, this dog put on such a performance, you know, early round. And, you know, here it is, you know, three hours later, dog, I mean, dog just looked like it ain't even no good, you know. It's, uh, <clears throat> so we're all looking for that one that, can do a three rounds, you know what I mean, and uh, move on and win in the finals. That's what, uh, and you know, that's reason a lot of the folks started hunting hounds, um, you know, because we hunt these full elimination type events, and it's not always a beautiful squirrel day, you know, it's not always, you know, blue skies and sun with a light breeze and, you know, acorns all over the ground and no leaves in the trees and just, where you walking through there on a fall day, just treeing squirrel after squirrel. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, well, you know, last year I kind of, kind of was bit by this, the snow and bad weather up north. I traveled up north several times and, uh, didn't have any luck, you know, just didn't have no, uh, no luck. Did good early in the season, but, um, you know, just didn't, didn't really have no luck late, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not easy when it gets winter time up there, you know, in the snow. And like you said, I mean, I mean, I, I know, I bet they get tired of hearing how easy it is, though. And I know it's tough down here, but they have their rough times, too. You know, we'll give it to them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, like I say, when you go up there, well, you know, me and the guy said, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you leave the house and you put the dog in the truck and you go, whether you hunt an hour, or you hunt 90 minutes and, uh, I think it was Doug Blackwell told me, you know, he said, hey, you know, we're, we're hunting 90 minutes, you know, they, they all had the same opportunity, you know, and I, yeah. I tell it to my, I tell it to my dad all the time, you know, we'll, well, he looks pretty good down here, you know, he, uh, you know, it just, you know, when you turn them loose and you get two dogs that's excelling and you get one that, you know, it's like he ain't never been out, even though he's a winner. People know the dog. The dog's won. Dog's done good in certain places, certain situations, you know, and you'll get him. And 
you know, the other two didn't have no problem. You know, they scored on game or done what it took to move on, you know, and it's, uh, they all had the same opportunity when you turn them loose. It's just what they done with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so moving on here. So you're a Conkey's outdoors pro staffer who's one of the headline sponsors for Coonut University. How'd you get hooked up with them as a, as a pro staffer? And, you know, what does that kind of mean to you? I met Bruce years ago. Um, we've always been been friends through the Coon Dogs, uh, him, Corey Davis, you know, those folks down there. I met Bruce, like I say, younger in life. Um, uh, I don't remember if it was after he bought, but he had a dog named Boss. Uh, he had, I think he bought, purchased a dog from Doug Brand. Um, I think he was off of Stylish Harry, but I met Bruce up in Georgia at the hunts and all, you know, and he's, like I say, always been a... <laughs> Super nice guy, friend to the coon hunter, and a friend to me. You know, he's kind of uh, watched me, you know, through several things in life and, and different times and always been there to give an encouraging word, um, you know, uh, just really be there, you know, for the coon hunters, you know, to help out. And uh, so knowing him and, like I say, through the hunts, just different situations in life, I've known him and he – when I seen they had that, you know, I uh, took interest in it, you know, and he, uh, thankfully, they, they took interest in me, and I had wrote in and submitted my thing, and uh, thankfully, the, the good Lord through them, you know, in their mercy, they chose and accepted me. Like I said, to be on the pro staff, um, especially, you know, it's a honor and a privilege, especially with those, those people. Um, honest people, people that, you know, doing stuff for the coon hunter, for the hunters in general. I know Corey and them, they do a lot with other organizations. I know he was involved in the, some houndsman organizations and just trying to, you know, help dog hunters in general. Uh, that means a lot. You know, we do need a lot more of that nowadays. <clears throat> but, yeah, I thank Bruce for, for that that opportunity. Like I say, hopefully I can go on this season. Like I say, competition season's coming on and – uh Hopefully make them proud, you know what I mean? Get some uh, get some conky stuff out there and like I say some supplies and hopefully uh you know, help them the the way they've helped me, you know. Oh yeah, that that yeah. There's a uh, and people need to think about that when they spend their dollars. You know. Right. Yeah. Who are the people that are kinda of helping you and conkies, man, I don't you know, you get Mr. Bruce and you look on the UKC forums and it doesn't matter if that that person's a Conkey's customer or not, he's on there to answer any question about a Garmin or any piece of hunting equipment that anybody has, you know, free of charge. And he's always there to help people and Zach and all of them. They do a great job and they're uh, advancing coon hunting, I feel, or the hunting supply business, you know, with some of that the stuff. Bruce, that even, even if it ain't in the hunting, hunting industry, I know I've seen him at different times, you know, giving guys. Uh, life wisdom i should say you know and i'll just kind of leave it at people just fell on hard times and needed help or needed advice and uh bruce has always been there to give that good honest word to, to help the guys whether it be them arguing on a page or you know bickering back and forth or posting something that they know is detrimental to the hunting and housing alive bruce he's got a way and a knack of you know Correcting the guy or putting it out there saying, hey, you know, this is what it is. This is the way it needs to be. And 
you know, correcting the person without them, you know, getting all ruffled up about it. And that's a good thing. We need older folks like that, you know what I mean, to correct people when they're in the wrong. Yeah, and that's a uh, that's that's probably a hard quality for to come by. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. To be able to correct somebody without ruffling any feathers, cause that's, right. uh, that's mm-hmm. tough. That's tough to do. Mm-hmm. It really is. So, yeah. uh, are you ready to move on to your store? I am. Whenever you are, yeah, I'm. Uh, We're going on yeah. going on an hour now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will, and I'll try to make it. Make no, it well, I mean, you just tell it how you got to tell it. So. And I, I'll start it out. Like, so, uh, Dave, you know, you kind of reached out to us and you kind of, we talked on the phone and you told me about your story and all. And it's, it's real interesting. You know, it, I don't know how much it has to do with coon hunting, but it's got a lot or squirrel hunting. Uh, but it's got a lot to do about, got a lot to do with life. And, uh, I think it's important that people hear this because, you know, and I'll kind of say something after it, but, you know, I could have been in the same position as you, you know, I think a lot of people could have been. So, uh, if you could, you know, just, just tell us that, tell us that story, you know, tell us kind of what yeah, you I, do. Yeah, and I will, I, uh, you know, and I, I did, I know this is a dog, you know, a coon hunting page, you know, I appreciate you for what you've done. And it's, uh, you know, through the hunts, through the coon hunt and the squirrel hunt, I've met a lot of people, been able to, uh, been involved with a lot of people, you know, and, uh, you know, this is just a part of my life that, you know, when I, we kind of skipped around in certain situations and talked about certain things in the beginning with the dogs, but I, uh, you know, just to kind of get us started off, my dad, he, he raised me as a young child, got custody of me when I was a, a young child, um, custody of me from my mother and, um, raised me up. Like I say, I, uh, started going to church with my, uh, with my mother, I go see her every other weekend and stuff. Um, and, uh, started going to church there. Got got saved at a young age, you know. Uh, lived for the Lord. I uh, toted my Bible through high school, um, you know, and uh, was just a different individual you can imagine. And uh, even back then, you know, it wasn't wasn't a popular thing. It wasn't a a thing to be glamorous and looked at, you know, caught a lot of ridicule, a lot of issues from people, you know, uh, just trying to live for the Lord and do right. Um, uh, got married at a young age, uh, age of 21. I just out of the will of God, just totally went out on a limb and just kind of got out there and uh, was more worried about me than I was the Lord and what I needed in, you know, in life. I, uh, just kind of got all messed up, got married, like I say, out of the will of God. And that, that didn't work. Um, just turned very bad, very, uh, a lot of issues, a lot of trouble. Um, end up catching a felony charge and, uh, never been in any trouble in my life. You know, it was about the time I'd really doing good in the coon dogs uh i had the coon buster dog I had a litter of pups you know what i was saying and uh life just really went bad i uh you know was placed on two years probation and uh just totally fell away from the lord fell out of church quit going to church started going to the bars started drinking uh you know running up and down the roads doing all the stuff that that involves um 
And I think I had about two weeks left on that probation. And uh, it was April the 7th. Um, I'd been drinking up at a local bar and left. And, uh, you know, lost control of my truck. And a guy rear-ended me. Um, I was under the influence of alcohol at a crushed his pelvis, dislocated his hip. Um, they life-flighted me and him from the scene. I took my pocket knife, cut out of my seatbelt, and uh, got out of the truck, wanted to help the guy, you know, but I was bleeding out myself. My back glass had blowed out, cut the top of my right ear off, and uh, had glass all in the back of my head. My head hit the steering wheel, had a lot of trauma to my face. I don't know the correct number of stitches and staples uh, had rips under my eyes over my nose you know just they lifelighted me and him and uh coming uh, you know i got out of the hospital and uh just dreading worse you know they uh come to the hospital took my blood uh, as they were doing plastic surgery on me or whatever they'd smelled alcohol on me and uh state of florida that was legal they took my blood my blood alcohol come back i was over the legal limit yoder nylon has long been known for producing the highest quality briar proof products on the market now they formed a partnership with razor hunting gear to produce all razors new hunting products Razor has a wide selection of products from competition belts, chest rigs, strap vests, to hunting jackets. These products look as well as they perform. Razor Hunting Gear, designed by coon hunters for coon hunters. Razor Hunting Gear's newest products are now available for the order. You can find a link in the description box below. So they charged me with DUI with serious bodily injury. Um, Sent two state troopers. Uh, they come to my house four weeks later to my dad's and uh, placed me under arrest. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget. I was about to graduate electrical school, and uh, actually, I took my final and all, and you know, I knew I was gonna be okay with that. But I was just graduating electrical school. Didn't get to go to my graduation, but uh. I was riding the back of that state trooper car and, you know, just in disgust, looking at my life and looking at what was going on. I said, man, it's, and, uh, he said, Mr. Sullivan, I don't know if you know me, but he, you know, told me his name and everything. He told me he had worked my, my wreck there when I'd had my wreck, um, you know, all the trauma and all the damage and everything. And, uh, he said, you're a lucky feller, Mr. Sullivan. And, uh, I said, yeah, well, I'm the one in handcuffs, and, you know, I'm having a real bad day, you know, sitting in the back of that car. And He looked at me in the rearview mirror, and he said, uh, you know, and he went through the whole rigmarole of on April 7th. He was involved in an accident on, you know, Highway 17, and I, I said, man, I know I was in a wreck. I was the one that dealt with it. You know, I don't need to. And, uh, he said, an S10 pickup truck hit you running approximately 65, 70 miles an hour uh, in your rear end, you know. And I said, yeah, I know I was the one involved in it. You know, I was being 
being kind of ugly. And he said, be thankful, Mr. Sullivan. He said, God has a plan for your life. And, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> handcuffed. And I said, yeah, I hope it gets better. And he said, do you know what was behind that S10 pickup truck? I said, no, sir. I was unconscious. I don't know anything about it, you know. And he said, it was a semi-truck hauling a bulldozer. He said, do you know what would have happened if that would have hit you, you know, in your rear end? You know, he said, you you would have died, Mr. Sullivan. He said, you wouldn't be here today. And he said, take it as a learning lesson. And God's got his hand on you and, you know, do better. And uh, so he told me that and finished that as we pulled into the Sally Port of the Nassau County Jail. And I, you know, it was booked. I they charged him with DUI, serious bodily injury, a violation of probation, and uh, you know you don't you don't get out on the violation. Uh, so I battled it and fought it for six months. And uh, state was recommending three years. Um, Florida state prison system, you know. And I thought, man, I never I ain't robbed nobody, I ain't stole nothing. I hadn't, you know, I might have had a speeding ticket or two. But I think that was about it for me, you know. And I was thinking, man, I don't deserve to deserve to go to prison, you know, and, uh, you know, I had done a lot of things like a lot of other folks had, you know, and I thought, well, so the guy that, which they referred to him as the victim that, uh, I had my automobile accident with, they had come up with a deal that if I would pay restitution that would recommend the county sentence, you know, and I would get out in four months and then they was going to place me on probation and uh you know everybody says jailhouse religion and you know you everybody gets right and then changes you know and i told them i'd i'd been right before in my life you know <laughs> with the lord it wasn't jailhouse religion it was just god chastising me and you know he chastises those he loves and you know my life was just in disarray and i so, you know, I prayed, you know, don't want to go to prison. And, you know, we worked out this deal with the guy and my family. They went and got good money. Uh, you know, they wanted 10000 up front and they got that. And uh, anyway, in the, when the, the show come down to it, the guy, he he backed out on the deal. And, uh, you know, nobody knew why. And, uh, you know, and I know on this podcast, like I say, this is a a dog podcast, but like I said, this is, you know, I'm I'm telling this to, to try to help folks and to, you know, a lot of folks are going to go through things in life and it's, if I can tell this story, if it would just help one, it'll, you know, be worth it all. So I, uh, but I prayed, you know, I mean, pray God, I don't want to go to prison, you know, and I, you know, you know, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, would you, would you go for one soul, you know, and, 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 Man, I just told me a, a part, you know, being in church my whole life and, and helping others and, you know, leading people to the Lord, the high school and at, at different, you know, times in my life. And then here it is, I'm looking at, you know. So I knew when I went in the courtroom that day, you know, I said, I'm probably going. And sure enough, the guy, he, he backed out on the deal, told my family he didn't want the money. And uh, anyway, the judge, he sentenced me to three years in prison. Uh, five years probation when I got out and uh, they still made me pay the uh, $30,000 in restitution. But, um, so I went, uh, 
you know, went and done three years, uh, very hard on my family, very hard on my father. Um, had a tough time, you know, got to, got to my camp, and uh, luckily it was, uh, I'd say with having, doing electrical work, it, it helped, man. There was a guy back, he was on an appeal, and he told me, he said, hey, uh, you know, give me some information. You take these tests, take them correctly. You know, if you got any credentials, if you got any license, take them with you. So I had my family give me all my stuff. And uh, luckily when I got to these camps and took these tests, you know, they put me working maintenance, you know. And uh, I uh, was out in Carabell, Florida, out there in the Panhandle. I was in a, uh, sent me to Franklin, Maine, you know, and it was a maximum security camp, had, you know. Bunch of voltage on the fence, everybody isolated, you know, it was a control movement type place and I was only there three days and the guy come up and he said, Man, I don't know who you know or what you know, but you're being transferred, you know, and I don't know. So they moved me over to this work camp and uh, got there. I'll never forget. I went in and every light in the place was off where they took us in at and lady said did anybody call electrician you know me like to talk a lot i i said i'm electrician i can fix your lights you know and anyway she informed me very and not not such a nice manner that i wasn't to speak unless i'm spoken to and uh you know so so a lot of lessons learned and uh so she says what do you need to fix these lights and i said uh you know, not thinking, being old country boy that I am, I said, I needed a ladder and some wire cutters. And here I am in a maximum security prison, you know, asking for a ladder and <laughs> wire cutters. And she said, well, you, you won't get that here. And I said, yeah, I didn't tell. That's the reason the lights ain't working too, you know. But uh, me and her later on got to be become pretty close. And uh, they put me on the maintenance squad and was able to work maintenance around the prison there. And, uh, uh, my dad, he'd have to drive out and see me five hours one way um, out where I was at and did that for quite some time. And then I went in to uh, see my classification officer and uh, me and her, we'd had a few run-ins, different situations. And I, uh, she looked at her computer, kind of grinned and smirked at me and said, well, Mr. Sullivan, you seem like a bird of a different feather. Uh, Tell me a little bit about yourself. So I uh, pretty much told her the same story I'm telling everyone here today on the podcast. And when I got done, I looked up and she had tears running down her face. And, you know, I told her about my upbringing, going to church, to, you know, not doing good and backsliding and, you know, getting all messed up in life. And she said, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to help you. And uh, me and her talked a little bit, and she, you know, you, you in prison, they'll tell you anything. <laughs> you know, it's uh, get you in, get you out, you know, and it's, uh, I didn't know what she was going to do. She, I just asked her if I could go to work camp or anything to, you know, to be able to try to go make some money in the end of your sentence. There's a thing called work release, and a lot of folks can go and work. and. She said, no, due to the severity of my charges and all, I wasn't going to be able to go to work release. But she said, I'm going to, I'll try to get you moved closer to home. Uh, I didn't know anything about any prisons close to Jacksonville or 
anything. That wasn't my forte, you know. All I was thinking about was coon hunting. And uh, so guy on the yard, he come up, and he said, man, I don't know what you told that lady in there. And I said, well, I told her my life story. And he said, well, she uh, she got on the phone with Tallahassee and she talked to some people. And he said, I don't know. He said, either you in a lot of trouble or you got a lot of good stuff going on. And uh, anyway, long story short, they was moving me in the middle of the night. Uh, one inmate, there's a one inmate transfer. Uh, Lord had his hand on me. I, uh, moved me from uh, that Franklin work camp to Columbia, a uh, place a little closer to home. I was only there a few days and, uh, and uh, got moved to Laudy Correctional um, there in Florida. Um, it was an hour from Uly, my hometown I grew up in. And when I got there, they couldn't figure out how I got there. And they said, uh, what are you doing here? And I said, I was just told to put my hands behind my back and get on the bus. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I just, and, uh, they looked at the paperwork just still to this day, you know, nobody, they shook their head. We don't know why he's here. Who ordered this? You know, there was a bunch of red tape, I guess, that took place. A lot of people wasn't expecting it. And, uh, so they took me in what they call classification. They take you in and look at all your information and they talk to you. It's a big board. The warden, the major of the camp, uh, several lieutenants, you know, some sergeants, and uh, say, well, you know, we we don't know how you got here. I said, well, I'll be honest with you. I, I prayed. Laudy CI, it was a, a faith-based institution. They actually had church there and had camps and uh, different groups would come and minister and stuff. And they said, okay, they said, well, our electrical shop is outside of the gate. Um, I said, you're medium custody. You know, you're, you're not going to get a gate pass. You're not going to do electrical work here. How would you like to work in the kitchen? Well, I, I can't cook anything. I burn water, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll, I'll pray about it and believe that God will, God will move. They say, you can do what you want to do, Mr. Sullivan, but we promise you, you won't go outside this gate. And okay. So I was headed to laundry and, uh, this older gentleman, he rode by on a buggy and a golf cart type of old, and uh, had one of our union IBW stickers on the side of it. We call it a bug, whatever. And, uh, I flagged the gentleman down and talked to him, kind of told him a little about me, showed him my apprenticeship certificates. He'd actually went through the same electrical program, and he said, uh, can you get a gate pass? And uh, I said, no, sir. They said I couldn't go outside the gate. And, you know, went through the whole thing with him, and he said, I've been here 25 years. And uh, he said, let me see what I can do. And the Lord moved on my behalf. I <laughs> he come back out, told me he said in the morning come back up here at seven o'clock and we'll go from there. And uh, sure enough, seven o'clock they call my name. I go in there, same group of people, uh, same warden, same major, same lieutenants. They're all sitting there, kind of red in the face, twiddling their thumbs. And the only difference that day was that older gentleman. His name was Jimmy Strickland. Uh, he was an electrical supervisor there. He was sitting in the corner chewing on a toothpick. And he, uh, 
They said, Mr. Sullivan, we don't know who you know or what you know, but uh, Mr. Strickland has informed us that he, he needs you on his squad. And through pulling some strings and the Lord moving for me, you know, I was able to get on the electrical squad that next morning. They gave me a gate pass, and, uh, you know, God just really moved. Every place I went, um, the whole time I was incarcerated, he he had his hand on me. Like I said, I got visits um, every day. Uh, or, you know, every weekend I would, uh, you know, people come and visit me, people from my churches, people from the community, you know, it was a, you know, just really taken aback by the where I let my life go. And then, you know, here I was, you know, in this facility and I sort you know, to try to make the best of it, you know, so I, I done what I do, you know, I looked at folks and talked to folks and you had folks with problems and, you know, this going on and that going on. And I, you know, I was able to minister to a lot of those and help them and, you know, you know, help bring them to the Lord. And, and, you know, it was a good thing. Like I say, my, I think I had four months left. Um, my mother, she fell ill and, uh, she passed away, uh, while I was in prison. Um, so that, that was in itself was another, uh, Big trial, a big adversity, you know. I had to, they immediately pulled my gate pass, and, uh, you know, my dad had come to visit me that morning, and he wasn't supposed to come. Actually, another lady was, and I seen his truck when he pulled up. I was actually visiting with her, and he come out and talked to me for a little bit, and we went and got us a cold drink, and I was kind of ushered by my dad and a few guards into a, private room um, where, you know, my dad explained to me that my mother had passed away and uh, had that to deal with. He was, um, wasn't going to let me go to the funeral because of my custody level and, you know, a lot of the stuff. But uh, my boss man, Jimmy Strickland, he uh, went up, talked to the warden and told him that he would, you know, go and chaperone me or whatever, you know. And I said I had four months left, and he kind of denied it, and it was a, a big mess about it. My the electrical guy Jimmy Strickland, he actually laid his keys down and told the warden that you know he'd go, and that if they wouldn't let me go, that he was going to resign. But he just thought it was a little extreme that they'd let me work there for fourteen months, go in and out of the gate, and then you know wasn't going to let me uh, go to my mother's funeral, but uh. They did finally grant that and let me go. Uh, my dad picked me up. I was able to go and do that and then had to return. I uh, had four months to go. Um, you know, went through that and got out December 12th of 2007. And um, all this time, you know, my dad, he still had the dogs that we had, you know, he took care of. And naturally, you know, they got older and We'd talk to him, dogs, and he'd send me magazines, and, you know, it was a tough time in there. You know, met a lot of good people, a lot of bad people, you know, but I was able to, thankfully was able to get out, but when I got out, I was, uh, had to go to work. Uh, luckily, I had my electrical, you know, my, my license, my union dues, I had my journeyman ticket, and I had to go and work and pay that, that $30,000 off, you know, and try to move on in life, and that's, uh, that's what I did. Did real good for a while. Got out, went to church, started going to church with the people that I grew up with and, you know, uh, did real good. And then 
had to leave town. There was no work in Jacksonville through our union hall. And I started working, traveling, going out of town, you know, hanging out with the guys, you know, wanting to fit in and fell right back into the mess and junk that I come out of, of the, the drinking, you know. I was a uh, alcoholic, you know, just, just to say I was one of those uh, one's too many and a thousand ain't enough. I was never that person that could just... Guys, uh, hey, we, you know, we're going to have a few beers with our meal and then, you know, we're going to come home. That was not me. <laughs> if I, if I went and started drinking, I would be the last one there. Um, you know, just had that uh, addictive personality. And, um, so my life, once again, I was doing good, you know, working, traveling all over, making money, paying the restitution, you know, just doing, Doing that, but in that, it was a, you know, a deep, dark world, traveling around, you know, getting more and more involved in deeper and deeper things, drinking more and more, and uh, uh, living in motel rooms, you know, just a real unhealthy atmosphere. I would say just really got bad. I would go into, you know, motel rooms, and, you know, for all you guys that stay in them and traveling and hunting, you know, there'd be a Bible sitting on the nightstand, and, and the first thing I do is get that Bible and put it in the drawer and, you know, God would deal with me. You know, I'd be out drinking, 10 or 12 guys, we having a big party and, you know, I would just get convicted, just totally feel, you know, you know, that this, I know I'm not doing right. I know I'm not living right. And, uh, you know, go back to the room or, you know, leave everybody. Well, what happened to you? You know, God would deal with me at different times. You know, through those years, and, you know, I just turn it off, you know, and the more you turn it off, the easier it gets. And it just got to where I've, you know, hurt a lot of people. I've become a very, very hardened, very bad person. You know, I didn't care who I hurt. I was all about me. I just, you know, was out there living that life and uh, got to drinking, and I drank so much, I, you know, couldn't go to work. You know, couldn't get up, couldn't function, just, you know, I'd lose jobs because of it. I, you know, just, I don't know. And some fellas introduced me to powdered cocaine. I could drink all I wanted, do me a little cocaine and get up and go to work and do it all day at work. And, uh, got to be a really, really bad, bad scene. You know, I was, you know, Going to the ATM, you know, several times a day, getting money, buying cocaine, and, you know, have my dad at home, you know, they're watching over all my stuff, and, you know, son, what are you doing with all your money? You know, I had an old wore out truck, and, you know, I was just out there living to maintain, you know, and just living in sin, just a really dark world, you know, and I finally, uh, one time I was doing about $700 a week worth of cocaine, just me, myself. Um, you know, and it's a, a bad thing. I went work in Louisiana after being run off of one job from my background. You know, I was asked to leave and went to Louisiana and uh, got another DUI out there drinking, running up down the roads. And uh, that was. And they know, don't play. <laughs> it was a, uh, you know, I've been at a. 
been in the bar and you know definitely not proud of none of this so you know i don't want anybody to think i'm glorying in, in none of this i'm not I'm not proud of what i've done i uh left this little bar and you know naturally well, some guys they wanted to go eat mexican and you know we're gonna go out and have a few beer and i said yeah, okay and you know, I got to where, you know, God was dealing with me. I don't want to drive. You know, I got to quit drinking. I need to get back home. I need to, you know, I need to straighten my act up. You know, we've all done it. I mean, you know, you, you're sitting there consciously thinking, you know, man, I got to get my, my act together. And, you know, I got so many warnings, so many chances, so many breaks, you know. And my dad always told me, you know, it's not, it's not if they catch you, you know, it's when, you know. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to catch you, you know. I got to one time, you know. I wouldn't go out on Friday and Saturday nights. I'm like, you know, that's when they're going to be looking for people. I'd go out through the week thinking that I'm, that I'm beating the system, you know, <laughs> and uh, all that time, you know, I was just destroying my life. You got to go get, you, you got to get lucky every time. <laughs> right. you know, they only got to get lucky one time. <laughs> right. And so I was, we went to that Mexican restaurant anyway, they had a few beers and boys, you know, they're going back to the room. And like I, you know, I'm telling y'all, I, no, I ain't going back to the room, you know, and boy said, man, we, do you know where this little country western bar is or whatever, and I knew where they all were, because that's how I decided where I stayed when I went, and I traveled, and I went somewhere, and I went somewhere and went to work, that was the first place I, you know, a lot of guys went and found the closest motel to the job, you know, to save on gas, and you know, my Dave, I went to the find all the bars, you know, and then I'd go stay over there and just destroy my life, you know, and spend my money and just, but anyway, I said, yeah, we went to this little country western bar and these guys was going to drive me, drove my truck, and uh, anyway, not long after we get there, they leave uh, with two ladies and a uh, guy handed me my keys, and I, you know, need to be driving and I was in very bad shape and uh, anyway, my uh, wife I'm married to now, me and her was involved at the time and uh, anyway i left it was one of those i don't know four lane road and when you you know you had to turn around in the median and go back toward town well me and her was having a discussion on the phone and i missed my turnaround and it's forever out there you know me being dave and Are you in the market for a new dog box and just don't know which one to get? That's where I encourage you to go check out GNR Cedar Dog Boxes, especially if you're wanting something different. GNR Cedar Dog Box was established in 2016 when two avid hunters wanted a dog box that was affordable and great looking at that. They provide a high quality, handmade, lightweight box to the customers. They take pride in the fact that their boxes are fully cedar, which will last a lifetime in all types of weather conditions. Cedar also ensures your hounds stay a little warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer. You can find out more about GNR Cedar Dog Boxes on Facebook. G find them at GNR Cedar Dog Boxes or give them a call at 615-962-5266. They're located in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, USA. Old country boy I am. I said, well, I ain't driving all the way down. Further I drive, I'm increasing my chances, you know. <laughs> so I just turned around in the median. Well, I, you know, it had been raining all day. So when I pulled down in that median, I bogged my truck down. There I am sitting in the middle of a four-lane highway, my truck bogged down. And anyway, I locked in four-wheel drive. I finally got out. 
when I pulled up on the shoulder of the road, you know, in the oncoming traffic, they went on by and I turned around behind them and headed into town and I seen this car coming at a fast pace, just, you know, weaving in and out of traffic. And I said, man, that guy's driving crazy. And, uh, he was looking for me. <laughs> Somebody had called and said there was a truck, you know, bogged down in the median and then somebody had called and said it was also a vehicle driving in oncoming traffic and uh, they dispatched uh, i guess it'd be louisiana or whatever highway patrol um but this uh, black gentleman he pulled me over and uh it was pouring down rain and he was standing in the rain and i was in the rain and he wasn't happy and i wasn't happy and he said uh the way you look, I don't believe there's no need for no field sobriety test. And uh, he placed me under arrest anyway. And they took me to the jail, gave me a breathalyzer, and actually I was over the limit, and they charged me with uh, DUI and booked me. And uh, I think I laid there three days uh, before I finally come to and was coherent. And the lady told me, I don't know if I want to make a phone call and want to eat. And... Tyler, you can just imagine the state of frame of mind that I was in at that time after all I had been through. Um, oh, yeah. I can only imagine. Uh, you know, and I'm today's a world of cell phones and everything else. You know, I didn't have my phone, so naturally I couldn't call anybody, and they'd tell me to go in there and you can use the phone. And I told them I don't, I don't even know no numbers. You know what I mean? I'm. You know, I was still some messed up. I mean, I, uh, I'm ashamed to say, you know what I mean? I've had guys, people, you know, a lot of guys, man, I didn't know you drank or, you know, so y'all never seen me sober. You know what I mean? I drank before work. I drank after work. I, I stayed messed up pretty much full time, you know, and it, it took me, you know. So anyway, don't, I, as you probably would and a lot of other folks, I remembered one number. And it was my dad's home phone number, and he paid years ago and had that number unlisted. And you know, it was a you know one of them. Everybody that knows my dad, they knew that number, and it's you know never changed, never will. It was one of the hardest phone calls I've ever made. You know, after all I'd put my family through, after all I'd done, my dad him trip after trip after trip coming to prison to see me and. You know, to have to make that phone call and tell him, you know, that I'm once again locked up for drinking and driving. You know, it had not only had it destroyed my life, it had destroyed, you know, others, you know, all the damage that I caused. And, um, you know, talked to my wife I'm married to now, finally was able to. And you don't know if you know it, but they won't let you bond yourself out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, I I was just going to keep it a secret, you know. I told them, I said, no, I got plenty of money. It ain't a problem. There's a card in my wallet. I said, just whatever it is, you know, I'll pay it. And, you know, I just get back on the road, you know. No, nah, it don't work that way. <laughs> so I had to make contact with my family, and they had to go through the whole bail bond procedure. and. In order for the bail bonds to help me and all that, I had to get a lawyer, and it was just a big money racket. Uh, 
you know, there. But to move on along, I uh, was working a job, you know, like I say, I got out. Um, thankfully, that state trooper, uh, I remember him telling me uh, that night, you know, and he said, I'm going I'm gonna give you a chance, you know. He said, he said, you know, it ain't gonna help you a lot, but it, it, it'll it'll be better than and and they took my truck over and parked it at a bank. So when I got out, I you know I told him I said I got a truck somewhere. It's either impounded. And the lady said no, state trooper told you, you know, he parked it at, anyway. So thankfully they didn't impound my truck. That was another way, you know, just. Lord looking out for me. I was able to get my truck. They took my driver's license. But, uh, you know, my dad told me, he said, you know, you got people love you. People care about you. You need to, you need to get your act together and you need to come home. You need to. So I did. I went in and quit my job and, uh, packed my stuff, staying in a motel and I packed it up. And during all this time, you know, I me mean, doing all this stuff, uh, on June 24th, 2014, I'd met my, wife I'm with now and uh me and her started talking and she friends of the family and she's put up with all my mess and Lord I put her through a lot of hard and terrible times and places and she uh stuck with me, you know, she uh she said, We'll see you through it. She uh she said, But you gonna pay for this DUI I come home and got another job, electrical job, my work and uh, cost me right at fifteen thousand that I had to, uh, you know, pay. I had to end up going back to Louisiana, and they placed me on probation. I had to go to court out there, and uh, Louisiana, I don't know, but they don't reciprocate with the other states. You know, like what's happened in Florida, they don't, they don't take that really into consideration. You know what I mean? As far as, um. I didn't know that at the time, but the lawyer, you know, he was telling me, oh, you're good, you're good. And then <laughs> the day we had court, you know, they called us all up there, about 20 of us in this courtroom. And he said, uh, they called for your transcripts. I didn't know what, what it was. Anyway, they pretty much pulled all my records. Uh, when they got to me, I was dressed three-piece suit, tie, you know, the whole nine yards. I knew the... Knew the routine, and that I'll never forget. A judge, he looked at me, and he said, "Oh, this ain't your first time, is it?" And you know, I knew not to lie to him. I said, "No, sir." I'm, uh, he said, "State of Louisiana, we're not going to reciprocate. I'm going to charge you with the first defense DUI." Uh, he asked me if I had forty-five hundred dollars to pay the fine, and I said, "Yes, sir." And he said, "With you?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And he said, "Well, your day's going to get a little better, but..." Anyway, I think before I left out there, I ended up spending about 8000 that day paying everything and probation fees. And like I say, all in all, it cost me about 15000 And uh, so I came home, uh, me and my wife, like I said, we moved forward and got engaged. And uh, God really dealt with me. I was able to get a second chance. Uh, she had had kind of a first time bad marriage also as I did and the uh, Lord put us together and to kind of move on on a positive note I was able to get a second chance I, uh, me and her started going back to church uh, went down rededicated my life to the Lord um, 
been cleaning the sofa about eight years now, Tyler. So I uh, thank God for that. Then uh, just here recently, I got a uh, got approved, and I've been going to the uh, the jail systems, and I'm going and ministering there. Um, been able to you know lead folks to the Lord and just. Thank God for a second chance. I know it's kind of a long story, but I just want, you know, the guys to know that, uh, you know, no matter what you've done wrong, no matter what, you know, there's, you know, God's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of grace. And, you know, you've always got that chance, you know what I mean, to come back to him. And just thankfully, you know, for my wife, it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of, kind of comical. A lot of folks say we were going to get married, you know, and I asked her, I said, well, you know, where do you, you know, where do you want to get married? What do you want to do? And I have bought her a little mountain thighs pup. And uh, she said, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to go up. But it, it was the first ever they had. I think it was in, like a little town anyway, in Kentucky. But it was mountain thighs days. It was the first one they ever had. And uh, I'd actually got to know a lot of those thighs guys and was talking to them. And they said, uh, yeah, you know, come on up. We'd like to have you. And uh, met a gentleman by the name of Rayburn May. Um, very great person, very spiritual person. Uh, met him through the Thais Dogs. And uh, he's a, a minister and all. And anyway, me and her were joking around. And I said, well, if you, you, know, you won't, we'll just get Rayburn May to marry us while we're up there. You know, and I was just kidding. I mean, I, I was just. <laughs> Literally joking around, you know, just being a guy. And uh, lo and behold, she uh, talked to Raven May. They made the plans and everything. And uh, believe it or not, there's folks that were there. They witnessed it. But uh, we got married at a squirrel hunt. <laughs> uh, so. But, that's That's pretty good. <laughs> so we got I know it's kinda kinda takes a lot of people aback. We was uh we got married at the squirrel hunt. They actually had on the hunt that morning and I actually went out on a cast with some guys and come in and change clothes and they actually fixed up a big area and uh she had a dress and I had some good clothes and we actually got married there at a the first mountain fast day of squirrel hunt, I showed the little dog that I bought her one, one best to show, you know, and uh, <laughs> kind of a, you know, a, a different turn on life and a different story, you know, than a lot of folks are used to. But that's uh, and life just progressed on. Like I say, I've been uh, been doing good, and you know, the main I wanted to do this podcast to be able to, you know, to tell folks, and, and you know, you always got a second chance. I go to like I say, these bigger squirrel hunts, and I've had a lot of a lot of folks tell me, you know, Dave, you're a big inspiration. You know, I've heard your story. I know, you know, I've heard you stand up and tell folks, and you know, you pray over the hunt, or you know, my buddy Cody Pritchard, and you know, there's been a lot of guys, Chris Knight, a lot of guys that's I've met through these hunts and all. You know, they, you know, can really tell, you know, the Lord's touched you and changed your life. You know, and so. I just want to end it on that, you know. I just want everybody to know that I appreciate this opportunity to reach out, tell my story, you know, that it's a it's a slow fade. You know, I didn't just one morning wake up and say, hey, I want to be a, uh, an alcoholic. 
hey, I want to be a drug addict, you know, uh, slowly day by day, you know what I mean? I let things slide, let things get out of hand, and, you know, before you know it, it's your life's in a turmoil, you know, and it, yeah. it don't matter. It don't matter if you were raised in it or if you're homeless on the street. I've lawyers. I mean, I know me and you, we kind of talked and had some discussions. It, it don't discriminate of who no. who it gets, you know. Well, and I, I'll, I'll say this as far as I had a guy tell me, you know, I used to not kind of say it. You know, I was wild. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago either, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I was say I was telling, you know, I'd, I'd be drunk in Tyler town at 1030 on Saturday. And I was talking to a girl that, you know, she was a bartender on bourbon and I'd just leave Tyler town drunk and go to bourbon by myself, you know, or either. And, right. or the, the night it all kind of come to a head, me and my buddies were riding around drinking before a party and I was drunk or I don't guess I was really, I wasn't, plastered or anything but i was over the limit and and i we pulled up on a roadblock and hey i wasn't going to jail that night you know i turned around i run for right it. right well the, them cop cars a lot faster than you think they are yeah you know? <laughs> uh, hard outrun that radio hey uh, well no it was the ones at the roadblock got me because we was <laughs> in the country and uh um, yeah you know you're talking about somebody giving you a second chance and the first cop walked up there and I, I had my hands in there. I thought they were, I was right. done, you know, he, he was going to get me. And then luckily a guy that I knew, me and him were really good friends. He come walking up and he was there and he said, what are you doing? I said, dude, I said, I, t- I said, I turned around. I'm going back to this other boy's house. I said, he said, no, nah. he said, his house is the other way. He said, I know you turn around that roadblock, you know? And I said, yeah, so I can't lie, you know? Right. Uh, but he let let me go. He made me blow, and I was over the limit. But they let me go, and that kind of we drove about. I don't know. They they left, and I was still sitting there, me and my buddy, and I put the truck in drive and pulled up a little bit, and I put it in park. And nah, I said, one of y'all's got to drive the rest of the night. I said, I can't, you know. But and it's it's funny. It's funny. It's not funny because, but you know that I could have been in your situation so easy, and I think that's why I. I, I identified so well with your store because I was just like you. I just never got and knock on wood. I mean, anything happened because I don't do that anymore. Of course, I don't. I think that's a terrible thing to do. But you know, and my wife wouldn't put up with that. She's not, she's not like <laughs> yours. You know, <laughs> we didn't. I didn't do all that. She's really mine on now. <laughs> she's really the one that really calmed me down. And that's good. You know, and but. Yeah, cause she don't she don't play that, you know. She she ain't she ain't bartending on bourbon. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and mine did, and she told me, you know, when I come home, she said, you know, it was pretty much that ultimatum. You know, you can have me, and you know, she knew, and you know, I would sit around and tell her, you know, I, my church stories, and you know, she told me you can either, you know, straighten up or, you know, we're gonna have to go different ways because I was a bad person, and you know, I wasn't doing right, and I I just made that change, and luckily her and the Good Lord gave me that opportunity, you know, because there's uh, a lot of folks out there don't get that second chance, you know, and I look at so many times, you know, like I told you before, you know, as I look back at some of the things I've done and some of the folks nowadays that I, some of the stories I hear in places, I, you know, at work and different guys telling about things they do and it takes my breath away because I know, I know the end result, you know what I mean? And I try to tell those guys, you know, there's a, a better way you know what i mean it don't it, you won't just wake up in the morning and say hey i want to 
you know, I want to go do all this bad stuff. It's a slow fade, you know what I mean? And before you know it, you're off in a, in a deep ditch that you can't get out of, you know, and in a bad area in life. So, Well, and I guess my thing was, I know it's two nothing podcast, but right. I, I didn't even, I didn't realize the severity of my actions. You know, what if right. I'm, yeah, I'm just riding around drinking on the back of <laughs> my buddies. Right. Know? But what if I accidentally swerved one time? And hit an oncoming car. Oh, yeah. Had a baby in the back seat. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, well, not only am I going to jail for the rest of my life, but <laughs> I, I just took somebody's life, you know, and that, and accidents can happen. That can happen when you're sober, too. Yeah, but yeah. When you're sober, you're, it's an accident. Right. You know, it, 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 would, it would be really hard, but it's a lot harder if you're drunk and that's, that's something that I never even realized until, you know, like I said, it wasn't that long ago because I ain't but 27, but I've been 21. When I was 16, I was 21, you know, according to a right. driver's oh, license yeah. in Mississippi. But uh, so I just, I kind of identify with you, you know, and I want to say this before we get off because a guy told me this, you know, he said, man, you kind of living fast. And I said, yeah. But he said, you know, drinking and all this, he said, it's it's like this. He said, it's a pinnacle. He said, yeah, you're on the rise, you know, drinking. It, it's cool and it, it helps you right. make friends and it helps you get girls and it all this. Right. But you come to a point where it starts going the other way. You start losing yeah. uh, girls. You start losing friends and it's, it's not as fun anymore. And, you know, the times aren't as good, you know, and I felt myself getting to that pinnacle. And that's, that's you know, and the more I look at other people and, and the people that I've see now that do that and i can see that that happening you know they're at that pinnacle and they're going the other way you know yeah and i had so many people you know they would you know i had several guys you know they would had a guy when i he pulled me to the side and he said man what are you doing you know and i'm like what are you, you know and he said you know you're, you're trying to fit in you're you know you're doing this you're running there you know he said you know that and he said you ain't got to do all that man he said you, you ain't got to you know, and he was one of us, but he knew I was different. He knew there was something about me, you know, and he said, you're not being you. You're just trying to fit in. And I was, you know, I was trying to be a part of something. And it was, a, you know, it, uh, and, you know, i never forget. And I just, you know, kind of left it out of my story. But, I, you know, there were several guys, you know, that, uh, you know, I drank the party with. We all hung out. You know, we stayed in campgrounds, we, you know, and I. Two of those guys, you know, sad to say, they, they they took their own life, you know. Their life was in such disarray, and their lives got such dismantled and loss of friends and family and relationships, and both of them, they, they took their life. And I, you know, I stood right there by the fire drinking with them, knowing a different way, knowing, you know, to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that to try to turn them from what they was doing, but instead I was so caught up and wrapped up and wanting to fit in. And um, every morning, Tyler, every morning I wake up and I look in that mirror, I have to know and accept and realize that, you know, that's on me. I have to know, that, you know, I could have told those guys and no matter what way they chose to go or what they chose to do in life, it was my knowing it was my obligation to tell them. And that's one of the reasons I'm on this podcast today is because, you know, I want folks to know and I don't ever want that blood to be on my hands that, you know, knowing the way and, you know, I've had people, you know, in different situations and, you know, if people would have just known, you know, so 
I just want you to know I appreciate this opportunity, you know, of being able to get on here, share my story, my life, um, you know, where I'm at now, like I say, doing good, ministering to jails, uh, <laughs> competition, squirrel hunting, and uh, uh, doing good. And like I say, just uh, like to say thanks, you know, to my dad, um, all my family, my wife, uh, most of all for sticking through it with me. Um, Mr. Joey Dennison, he's, you know, like my second dad, my mentor. He gives me a hard time a little bit running up and down the road, spending my money on these squirrel hunts and stuff, you know, but it, it, uh, it's what I like to do. And it's, it's become like a ministry for me, you know. I get to tell the guys, you know, I'm not out there preaching to everybody every time I show up somewhere, but, you know, if somebody needs a word of encouragement or, you know, at different times I'm asked to speak or say something, it's, you know, for God to get the glory, not me, you know. I just want people to know there's a, there's a better way and a better life, you know. Yeah, and I, I'm man. Thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story. And I think people are really going to be moved by it. I know I was, and it's getting late. We're working on two hours now, so. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll let you get off here. I know it's ten o'clock there, but uh, like I said, thank you so much for coming on here, buddy. And I really enjoyed it. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Bye. Bye-bye. I really hope y'all enjoyed that interview as much as I did. If you like what you heard here, go on over to Facebook. Give us a like, at Coon Hunting U. Also, go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us out. And remember, if you need a new hunting light, do not overlook Superior. They make an awesome light, best customer service in the business. Man, their walking light and double red is the brightest I've ever seen. Use coupon code CHUPODCAST at checkout at nighthunters.com. You can find the link in the description box below this. Coon Hunting University is a product of Audio Hound Productions. Until next time, y'all have a wonderful day.